Hello, I am the migrating Northern Sawad Owl Carter, and today we have a super awesome episode with someone who gives us the real truth about being a wildlife biologist and an educator here at UWSP. We talked for an hour about human wildlife conflicts, the bear project surrounding UWSP, as well as a fig tree here and there. This stellar CNR staff didn't think that she would end up in the CNR at all. So take a seat, start making dinner, or do whatever you do when listening to podcasts because you're going to have a blast with Dr. Katie Sartini. Awesome. Well, my name is Katie Sartini, and I have been here at Point since the winter of 2014. And I remember that really clearly because I came in January. Um, that's the middle of the polar vortex. So I moved up here from South Carolina, um, where I just finished my PhD at Clemson University and moved into the polar vortex of what felt like death, doom, and destruction. It was totally different um, to move up here in the middle of that. Um, especially coming from a place where you can't even buy winter boots. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> to do, to do that was a, was such a huge change. Um, so yeah, 2014 is when I started. So it's been about seven years. Um, and it was so cool also to move up here, not just to move into a different, um, you know, physical environment, but so many things were different up here as well. And one of the things that I loved best when I started working here was just how much everyone likes each other and um, wants each other to do well. So it was so nice to be in a place where everyone is friendly and, you know, we joke around and it's just, it's such a, it was such a gift, I think, to move up here, even though it wasn't not quite the, the type of environment that, um, you know, I was kind of expecting and was used to, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what made you, like, did you apply for a job position at UWSP? Is that how you came up here? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I got here right, literally right after I graduated with my PhD. It was like, finish PhD, move immediately up north for this. And um, as I was finishing up, just like um, so many students do, um, you're finishing up, you know you need something. So you spend the last few months of your time in school feverishly filling out applications. And this one um, application came through that was actually for a visiting lecturer position. So that first position that I had here was a visiting lecturer and it was meant to be a two-year position. So. I came here thinking I would only be here two years and I would teach um, wildlife of North America is what I taught then and also um, wildlife techniques. So I just taught a bunch of sections of those classes. But as I got here and I realized that this was, you know, I'd never heard of point before then. And it was literally just, this is a job announcement. My job is to fill out applications. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did that, Um, got here and then just completely loved it and it felt like home. It felt like home right away. Um, And I took care, even though I didn't need to do this, I always went to the wildlife discipline meetings, even though I wasn't technically considered wildlife faculty, Um, but I went to every meeting and I tried to use that as a way to learn about what it meant to be a tenure track faculty member. And as I was doing that, there was an opening in our um, discipline and Um, even though it was for a position that I never thought that I would actually apply for, it was a human dimensions and law enforcement joint position at that time. And I looked at that and thought, 
heck no, I don't know anything about law enforcement. Why would I apply for that? So this position was open and I knew I wanted to work here, but um, I was like, no, I can't apply for a law enforcement position, you know, but everyone here said, oh, you need to apply for this. You should apply for this. Where's your application? You know, and um, and I did. And then I ended up getting that faculty position after I'd been here for a year. So started as an assistant. Uh, I mean, not an assistant, sorry, um, as a visiting lecturer and then got the assistant professor position a year, um, a year later. Yeah. What was that like going like straight from school into like uh, into a position that was basically like essentially full time? I guess that's one way to think about it. I did go straight from my PhD, so that's graduate work, straight into my what we'll call my real job, right? My <laughs> my adult job. I do like that um, idea, um, and that didn't feel that different because I was doing a lot of the same things as a graduate student. I was teaching classes and um, and the environment was basically the same. So it, that wasn't too big of a difference. Um, but when I graduated with my undergrad before I got into grad school, I actually had intended, I knew right away that I wanted to, to work in a university and to be a professor, or at least I knew that fairly early on. Um, so I knew I needed to go to graduate school and I didn't see that there was any point in waiting. So when I graduated with my undergrad, I spent basically two years trying to get into graduate school. Um, and part of that is because it's just hard to get into graduate school. And then the other part of that is I kind of got some weird advice about how to apply. So I kind of misunderstood um, how I should apply. And I was doing that mainly just by um, blanket emailing what felt like hundreds of different professors and asking if they had graduate positions. And everyone kept saying, oh, you're an amazing student. I don't have any money. Mm -hmm. You know, that space, it's like, that was the standard response. So I spent two years doing that. And while I was doing that, I um, needed to live and pay for things. Um, so I actually had a job working for two years at an artificial floral wholesaler. So that means that I sold fake flowers to rich people oh. for two years. <laughs> um, we did spring half the year and Christmas half the year. And I became an expert in artificial Christmas trees, basically. <laughs> so um, that's how I earned money. And while I was doing that and living, um, I volunteered at the Georgia Aquarium just to keep myself sane and um, basically read every scientific paper I could get my hands on. Like I would plan graduate projects that I might could do at different schools. Um, yeah, I kept a running list of papers that I wanted uh, my friends who are still in school and had access to the scientific journals. Like about once a week, I would send out this list, like please send me these papers. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just needed to do that to make myself feel like I, was still moving forward, even though it felt like I was a little stuck at the moment. Um, yeah, so some people have these stories where they graduate and then they run off and do all these tech jobs. And I have a little bit of a different, little bit of a different path, um, but it worked. It worked, it worked really well for me and I'm really, 
um, looking back, it's easy to see how, how things went, you know, the way that they should have to get me to where I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said early on, uh, you really like you kind of knew that you wanted to be a professor. What kind of what made that trigger or like what was that switching point? Like, how did you know? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I was just thinking about this the other day, but it's hard to it's hard to remember exactly what you're thinking or feeling, you know, um, but I do remember very clearly wanting to do research. And to me, research and the scientific process is completely fascinating. I love project planning. I like thinking about the intricacies of um, what kind of variables and interactions between different, um, different things might be going on that could impact your results. Um, I knew I was interested in research. And I also was pretty sure that I didn't want to work for an agency because I wanted to do research and I didn't want to be bound by an agency's agenda. Mm -hmm. um, I like to do my own thing, I guess. And the best way that I could see to do that was to work at a university. Um, in my head, I didn't really think about the fact that that would mean I would have to teach. I just kind of thought that I would do that. Of course, if I had to, I would work at this university and I would teach, but it, that wasn't really something that I really cared about, I guess. It was just something that I would do, you know, in order to be able to do what I really wanted, I guess, is how I thought about it. But when I was in graduate school, I went to, to graduate school as a TA. So I started out basically just teaching and the TA positions at Clemson at that time were basically glorified babysitting mm -hmm. <laughs> positions is what they felt like, where I was with another faculty member and I would just make sure students didn't get lost in the woods. You know, that's mm -hmm. the way that it kind of started. But very quickly, my advisor kept giving me opportunities to plan week-long classes that were continuing ed for teachers, where I'd bring teachers out in the field with me and show them what was going on with our research. I did one of those every summer that I was in school, and I just, I loved it, you know, and um, I ended up getting to actually teach um, my own class, be the instructor of record for wildlife management when I was there, which was pretty rare um, to get to do. And the more that I did it, the more that I loved it. And the more that I loved it, the more that I realized I really loved it. And, and it also occurred to me then that I knew I wanted not just to work at a university, but I ended up loving teaching so much that I, I realized that I wanted to be at an institution that focuses primarily on teaching and not be at what I had thought I wanted originally, like a big R1 school where I mainly do research and also sometimes teach things. It's, it's a good bit different for me now. I think about it more as I mainly want to teach mm -hmm. and I also get to do all these other fun research things that we get to do here. So I have the freedom to do the research that I still want to do, but I'm in a place that values teaching and that is what gives me the job satisfaction that I do have here. And I never, when I was an undergrad, never would have realized that much about it. I mean, the university part is still right, but what I actually do on a day-to-day -day basis is different than I had imagined in my head. Can we back up just a little bit and talk about what it was like applying for those jobs and things like that? Like what skills do you think were necessary or like that got you those jobs compared to other people? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
it's actually funny now that you're now that you're asking it I forgot about this but um when I was applying and again I feel like this is very common for lots of people I hear this from a lot of students um I applied for everything like all of it (laughs) um and some of it I was like yeah I can totally do that and some of it I mean even like this the job that I ended up getting, which included law enforcement and the position description, like, I, I mean, some of it was a reach, you know, but I, I basically applied for all of it. And I think what allowed me to be successful was actually um, that I had gotten to do so much teaching as, um, as a part of my graduate program. And this is, I think it's interesting for me to think about this because of the experience that I had while I was there at Clemson. So there's kind of this mindset that I see where it's like you either focus on research or you focus on teaching. And it's, it feels sometimes to me, like those of us that prefer to focus on teaching, at least it it can feel this way, can make it seem like research is more important Uh, or better than teaching. And that's part of the environment there that I didn't really appreciate at at Clemson and being at this big R1 school. It felt like research and bringing in money was more important than the relationship that I got to develop with my students. Um, And even at that time, when I did get to teach my wildlife management class, I actually had a a woman that I was hoping would be a good mentor for me. Um, She said to me, that's really great that you got this position. You can put that on your resume. Now you need to spend as little time as possible working on that class so that you can focus on your research. And that was to me a defining moment of like, what, why would I, this is obviously not the right place for me, for my life, you know? Um, So when I graduated, my advisor had given me a great gift, which was having me teach all of these classes, continuing ed classes for teachers. No one else had done that. Um, All of the extra teaching that I got to do for him, the course development. I remember one time he he said basically um, the continuing ed program then um, was pretty much begging him to teach this class in Yellowstone about human wolf conflict in Yellowstone. And he, he kept saying he didn't have enough time. So I basically just begged him like straight up begged him, please just say, you'll do it. I will do all of it. Like his name had to be on it because he was the professor, right. Or whatever. And I planned the whole thing. You know what I mean? I did all of it, all of the contacts, all of the scheduling. And this was at the time that I was writing, I was writing my dissertation and planning this like dream class to Yellowstone. And um, I'd never even been to Yellowstone. So I was basically like sleeping with a lonely planet under my pillow, making sure that (laughs) like we knew like how long does it take to get from here to here? Like all those really crazy details that you don't think about when you're taking 15 strangers on an educational trip. Mm -hmm. Um, I I literally did that while I was writing my dissertation. And I I didn't even get to go to some of those things while we were on the trip. Like everyone else went to Old Faithful and I was working. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't get to go do that part, you know? And 
the people who were my mentors who valued research looked at me and said, why are you doing this? You know, this is not your job. Why are you doing this? And when I got this job here immediately, before I even graduated, I got this job here and then I had my former professors who didn't understand what I was doing. Why are you teaching all these classes? Um, they asked me to talk to their graduate students about how I got a job. And that was so profound to me that I was obviously doing something that was right for me and they just could not recognize that. And I had a different path than what they expected and a different path than what they wanted their students on, which is fine. Um, but I'm, I'm very thankful for the gift that my advisor gave me um, uh, because I don't know that I would have been as successful as I was getting this job. And I, I honestly don't know if I would have realized that this was a good fit for me at all. I could have had a completely different life, I suppose, if, if I didn't have someone that kept pushing in that direction. And it's something that I really grew to appreciate and, and love over time. So now that you are at Stevens Point, uh, can you tell us about like the courses that you are teaching and things like that? Yeah, sure. Um, I teach um, a couple different classes. Um, I, I teach um, NRES 150 People Resources in the Biosphere. So that's everyone in the CNR has to take that. So mm -hmm. I, I usually get to see most of most everyone. Um, I also teach a non-majors class, um, which is similar to NRES 150, but this one is Wildlife 150. So it's called um, Living with Wildlife. This one is targeted for non-majors and that's really fun. It's a non-majors gen ed class. Um, so we get to talk about some of the same things that relate to how people value wildlife, but I'm with art majors and political science majors and economics students. And I, it, that's fun because I never get to know, you know, what they're gonna say. Like I know what most wildlife students are gonna say when I ask most questions, but in that class, it, it could be anything, anything, you know what I mean? Um, which is mm -hmm. so fun. Um, I also teach Human Dimensions of Wildlife, which is a required class for wildlife students, and Behavioral Ecology, um, which is a um, one of the options for wildlife students. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you have a, fa a favorite class to pick and choose favorite? Favorite, yeah. This is a, this is a, one of my dirty secrets, Carter. So <laughs> this is between you and I. <laughs> um, I say to every class, I think that they are my favorite class, that that class is my favorite class. Um, like I say that, and now also, I guess I forgot that I teach at Tree Haven, right, oh. obviously, which is amazing. And um, I just started a new class, uh, Black Bear Ecology and Management, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those things, I literally say those are my favorite. And in the, in the moment that I say it, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And if you can say that about all of the things that you do, like that mm -hmm. is, that's the best possible scenario. I love all of those classes and I love them all for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they let us do different things. I have um, different levels of student interest and, and um, you know, they, they all provide me with different levels of satisfaction, so. 
it's hard right now I'm teaching the bear class and human dimensions. So it's really easy for me to say the bear class, I'm planning this workshop. We're going to go out at tree Haven this weekend and literally just bought a stuffed bear. That's the size of a yearling. It's like a four foot <laughs> stuffed bear that we're going to use in this workshop. How can that not be your favorite Carter? Right. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like everything feels like that to me. So that is my, I don't know if students realize this when they hear me say it, if they like remember that they've heard me say that more than once, but yeah, every class I say is my favorite. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes hand in hand with favorites and wildlife is a pretty broad discipline, but do you think that there's a course that's really important for people in our majors or like wildlife majors specifically that's like really important for them to like get a lot of like to get a lot out of that class or a specific class or you recommend that they take to like kind of accelerate their career yeah um that is hard for the wildlife discipline because it is there are lots of different directions that you could go although i imagine a lot of disciplines are like that um for me um i i really do think that every wildlife major needs to push themselves as far as they can in a class like human dimensions. Um, and I do not say that just because I teach it, although it is convenient for me to say that mm -hmm. because I teach it. Um, but really wildlife is about, not just about the animals, but about how humans interact with and relate to and make decisions about animals, which means you have to understand the human element of those systems. Um, so that is to me mission critical related to you being able to do your job no matter what it is. Um, so that one is very broad and overreaching. Um, beyond that, one class that I think does not get perhaps as much attention as others that I think is really important in terms of helping us do a better job of living with animals is actually um, Dr. Hangstrom's class, Wildlife Damage Management. Um, so much of how we live with animals has to do with mitigating human wildlife conflict. And in a class like damage management, that's something that might not occur to you. It's not required, you know, it's just one of those things that's in a list. Um, and you might not really understand what it signifies when you see the name, but to me, the value that you get out of a class like that is, um, it's incredible because it, it'll push you in a different direction than you might have been thinking about before. And it's a really important um, kind of way that we relate to animals and have significant impacts on animal populations. Mm -hmm. So to me, um, damage management is actually a really, a really good one. Do you have to take that class in order to be on the bear project? Um, yeah, so um, good question. Um, you do not have to take the class in order to be on the bear project, but, um, and there are ways you can be involved in the bear, in the bear project without, without that. So it's a little bit, uh, fuzzy because there's lots of different things that you can mean when you say the bear project, there is, uh, the bear project that I manage directly, which is the College of Natural Resources, Wisconsin Black Bear Research Project, where our main focus is looking at cub production and survival in the Clam Lake area. 
And then we also pull in master students who might have other objectives. And our, our main goal with that is also to keep a population of radio collared bears available for student projects. So when students want to do undergraduate research, there are bears with movement data and habitat data and denning data that are available for you to use, um, which is almost impossible if you're talking about you know, like if you come as a freshman and you're like, I want to work with bears, like just planning for how to, how to make that happen might take three or four years in itself, you know, so get basically increasing opportunities. There is also a bear project through the Wildlife Society and they choose their own co-leaders and they bring, um, they bring up their own objectives related to the research that they want to address. I do advise that project. So there's a lot of different opportunities and the bear class is not required, but um, it is very helpful to have um, if, you, if you want to. So if you are interested in working with bears, this is what I will tell you. You should come talk to me, right? Mm -hmm. um, just come talk to me and let me know uh, what it is that you're looking for. Why are you interested? We can decide then if taking a class is a good fit for you. Um, or I actually have a couple of students um, who are just taking the field workshop, right? So they're just taking the field workshop. Um, and then next year, they'll actually get to be TAs uh, for the bear class once they know what's going on. So there's lots of different things that we can do. So if you can't fit, it's just a one credit class. It's in the fall. If that doesn't work for your schedule, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. But it is a lot easier for me to pull in students from that class and from, from those of you who have taken the workshop. Um, and there's, there's just a lot of students. I mean, if you asked, if you asked everyone in the college, do you want to go out to a bear den? I mean, like 80% of people would yeah. say yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I try to make it as equitable as possible how I select students to get to go on opportunities. Um, but, but putting the time in um, on the workshop and, and through other things is a good way to show me that you're serious about it. Um, and so that's helpful, but it's not absolutely required. Do you advise any other projects uh, through TWS? Yeah, um, I advise the Fisher Project um, and also the Canid Project, um, both of which are in different sort of states. You know, TWS projects kind of um, go through like surges and slips, you know, they, they rise and fall depending on the co-leaders and what their management, I mean, their research objectives are. Um, yeah, but right now we're working on um, doing some more trapping related to the Fisher Project and they've got uh, collars and hair snares out in the mead right now. So we're, we're working on that right now. Um, and the Canid project has been dormant over the last year, but um, I actually just had um, just had somebody stop in um, yesterday to talk about that. So lots of, lots of stuff going on related to, to TWS projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so are there any other clubs um, or like projects for students to get involved in that aren't necessarily on TWS. Uh, again, the wildlife discipline is pretty broad, but uh, do you have any recommendations for like clubs and things like that for people to get involved in? Yeah, 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 I absolutely do. Um, the Herpetology Society is an excellent um, organization. They're very well organized, similar to TWS. There's a lot to learn there. Um, they do manage some of their own research projects that they've 
started recently, Dr. Jaden in the biology department is their advisor. Um, and he's done a really excellent job at bringing in some more research type opportunities in there. Um, and also if students have a captive interest, surely everyone has noticed that there's a bunch of captive animals that are right there in the lobby. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many good opportunities to volunteer through the Herb Society um, with those animals. So that, I think that's a really good thing that sometimes people might neglect. Like we just walk by that and don't always think about, hey, that's something that I could do, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I also think that there's a lot of value in other organizations um, that aren't just product focused, I guess. Um, like I advise, uh, along with Jessica Tomaszewski, the Women in Natural Resources Org. Um, and um, to me, other organizations offer a lot to students in the form of um, other types of social opportunities. Uh, it increases your ability to get to know students from other disciplines. You're not only hanging out with wildlife students all the time. I really like the, um, the Women in Natural Resources group because it's a nice way for younger students, especially to get to know people who are having common experiences with them. And um, they do different um, events, you know, but it, it's not meant to be, here's 800 different things that you can do to improve yourself. It's meant to be, hey, we do have some speakers come in, and, but mainly what we're doing is we're developing a community within the women and the in these different disciplines, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that kind of environment to me is really special. Um, and we do that with TWS, but not to the same extent because sometimes we just get to be so product centered that we lose, I think a little bit of the, the other parts of what a student org can do. Yeah. Not everything about getting involved has to be research. You can get involved in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Getting involved is, is about, you know, how, how does that org make you feel? Do you enjoy it? You know what I mean? Like not, am I adding something to my resume? Like everything you do doesn't have to be about adding something to your resume. Go carve pumpkins with the winners. You know what I mean? Do a scavenger hunt activity with us. Like have fun. You know, I think that's really important. What would you call your background in? Are you more of like a biologist <laughs> or I know that you do a lot of human dimensions work. So what would you kind of call yourself or what would your field be? That's a good question. Um, I guess you could call me more of a generalist. Um, and I'm, yeah, I, I've ended up doing a little bit in a lot of different areas. Um, so I have done, uh, you know, human dimensions work, but um, also like right now, I just, I just um, recorded a presentation for the national um, TWS meeting about cost efficiencies of game cameras compared to physical trapping you know that is definitely not human dimensions or it's only human dimensions and the fact that we need to be more flexible in how we plan projects and don't just assume that something is more cost efficient you know so that's that's definitely just straight planning for biological sciences work um the bear the bear work spans easily um, things related to habitat associations. Like right now we have a master's student who's looking at how acorn production influences um, bear harvest. 
um, and looking at that in Wisconsin and also at five other states across the United States. And then before this current student, the previous student um, looked at um, factors affecting um, bear attacks, non-lethal bear attacks, which is a bit biological, but definitely a bit social. And, and part of that work she did um, a survey of bear managers across the United States. So to me, it is so, everything that I enjoy most has a healthy dose of a lot of different things. Um, and I definitely don't like just doing the same thing over and over. So it's fun to me to get involved in, in lots of different types of projects. So I would, I think a generalist is probably the best way to kind of mm -hmm. say that. Um, so then like, where do you, see different aspects of uh, what you call yourself a generalist in? Like, where do you see those fields going in the future? As in, like, are black bear jobs gonna be increasing in number? Or like, if you want to be more involved in like organizations, like, do you see those increasing or kind of falling out? So like, where, like, what do you see your field? Um, where do you see it going in the future? Where do I see my field? That is yeah. a hard question to answer when you see your field as being lots of different things. Um, well, I can, I can say this about being a generalist. A lot of agency work, um, I believe, will require you to be a generalist at some level or another because you need to have a good, uh, healthy understanding of lots of different pieces in order to be able to do your job well. So I think that that's always appreciated. Um, and actually having a good understanding and, and, and at least some experience in lots of different areas gives you more flexibility um, because it means that you can um, apply your skills for lots of different things. Um, and instead of if you're, if you're a specialist and you work just with one taxa, then saying like how you how do you see, you know, waterfowl positions changing? If you're a waterfowl biologist, you're a waterfowl biologist. You know, it's hard to, to take that and then be able to move that somewhere else. It doesn't mean that you can't do that, but it makes it just a little bit harder. So within agencies uh, and universities, it makes it a lot easier, um, I think, because as needs arise, you can be the person that fills it. And um, as things change um, with whoever your employer is, you know, things do change and needs do become different. And that can help you increase your satisfaction, especially if you're someone who is not like me, who doesn't necessarily like to only do the same thing over and over and over. Um, that means that you can pop in and fill different roles as you choose to. Um, and to me, that's a very satisfying thing to consider, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I would, how I would see it, no matter where you end up, there's going to be a place for you, you know, because, um, you have put in the time to develop your skills in different areas, I suppose. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. And along, along those lines. So if you're like, what advice could you give to some students who maybe a freshman or even a senior like and they don't know what they want to go into like what is some way to kind of shift their career prospects or, or improve what they want to go into 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I really think that the most important thing that you can do for yourself when you're trying to figure out what you might want to do is just to try stuff. And I mean, that can be a lot of stuff, you know, because if you don't try it, it might, you might like, I did not really think that I would love teaching. I just didn't. And I had to do it. So I did it. And then that ended up being my thing. And I, I could not have told you that, I think, um, when I was younger. I just don't think that I could have. Um, so if you don't ever try it, it might not ever really occur to you. And that could be your thing, you know? And that means you need to try lots of stuff, you know? And, and it also needs to be okay if that's not your thing, mm-hmm. you know? Trying it and not liking it is data just the same as trying it and loving it. It gives you some idea of what you might wanna do. But the other thing I think that um, sometimes students can be really nervous to do that can be really helpful is to just reach out to people who have a job that they think that they might like and just ask them about it. Um, I remember when I was an undergrad, I had a friend who graduated with me as a biology major And she worked as a vet tech the whole time she was in college. And she just didn't love being a vet tech. She just, she knew she wanted to do something different. And um, after she got her degree, she still worked at the the vet tech so that she could, again, so that you can live, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But while she was doing that, she was taking advantage of all of the resources that were out there for alumni at our school, right? She was, and she did a ton of job shadowing. Like she would do interviews with people who had like different positions that she thought she might like. She went through a whole bunch of like, she did Myers-Briggs stuff, like all kinds of stuff just to see what she might like. Um, And she job shadowed probably four or five different completely positions. And she ended up recognizing that occupational therapy was actually what she was interested in. And that process took her two years. I remember thinking like two years, it took her two years, you know, but patience, just Mm -hmm. patience. You don't have to be like the one person who knows exactly what you're doing all the time. Most of us don't actually, that's not actually true. It's like something that you think that other people do because it it can feel that way and it can make you feel like you're behind Mm -hmm. but the truth is most of us are just stumbling around from one thing to another and we just can't recognize it in each other very well so being deliberate and just giving things a try you know what I mean I think that's the most important thing you can do and not losing hope you know just keep going mm-hmm. and um, it will work out eventually. And your path is not going to be the same as someone else's. It just doesn't need to be. It's your path. It's not theirs. I always like to go off of, um, have you ever read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath? Some of her collected poems? No, but it's on my list. So in one of the poems, she talks about a fig tree and how she's sitting there looking at figs in front of her. And she's looking at one fig, which is a teacher. And then she's looking at another fig above her. That's um, like an artist. Another one is like an Olympic rower. Another one is like a playwright. 
and she's looking at all of these and she can see more, just more and more up in the trees, but she mm -hmm. can't make out what they are. And then like the last line of the poem is she's sitting there or she watches as all of the figs fall to her feet rotting and she's just starving. Like she didn't choose one. So now she's just sitting there starving. Oh, that's a, yeah, I think that's an interesting analogy. I definitely don't think of it as as things falling to the ground and rotting yeah. and starving. <laughs> like I, that's such a nice analogy. And then you get to the end part. And to me, that is not how I view the world, right? Mm -hmm. I view it as you try a fig and it's either good or bad. Mm -hmm. And if it's bad, you cast it away and yep. try a different one, <laughs> right? Um, and some opportunities might go away, right? Like you're not gonna become an Olympic rower, I guess, when you're mm -hmm. 60. So, yeah. but there's still things up there. There's always still something that you can choose. And I think it's also important to recognize too. I think sometimes I hear a lot of students say, like, I really, I just really love wildlife, but I'm thinking about these other types of jobs. And it's hard just like this idea that what you love doesn't also have to be your job. You can love wildlife and be a police officer. You know, mm -hmm. you can do those things. You can be something else. If you want to pursue a different thing for your career, you can certainly do that. And you can still really value and appreciate wildlife, enjoy your time in the natural world and make smart decisions about wildlife and wildlife conservation. Mm -hmm. And you can be a member of the, na the Nature Conservancy or the Audubon Society, and you can be a birder or hunter or a fisher or whatever, and have a different career. Mm -hmm. that's also fine right so I've got two questions two final questions and these are more directed um, at you and your life and things like that um, so my first question is what do you not like about um, like your field at, like even before you were teaching not necessarily as a professor but mm. um, like in your field of wildlife ecology what's something that you don't you don't really like some people have said like mud some people have said like uh like parking when they're going to their field sites so it can be anything <laughs> <laughs> mud and parking yeah <laughs> who the heck are these people <laughs> right? uh, <laughs> that's funny my my first um it's funny, I must be, I must just have my head in an academic place right now. The first thing that I thought of when you said that is I had a really hard time struck when I was, I guess, when I grew up, I did not have a, a hunting background. I did not, I did not know that wildlife was a field. I did not understand wildlife management. I come from a biology background and more of a conservation biology background. And so moving from that to a wildlife management graduate program was a really big shock. And that to me is one of the hardest things about our job or one of my personal struggles, the things I really don't like is trying to take what should be the same idea, but it can feel really, really different. Um, and that can be really hard to navigate. You know what I mean? Those mm -hmm. differences. Um, it's interesting intellectually, but it doesn't make you feel very good all the mm -hmm. time. 
um, perhaps not in the same way that mud might make you not feel very good. (laughs) So that's a little bit more of a deep answer, but that's the first thing that I thought of. Yeah. And then what about the flip side of that? Like, what do you love about your job that you, even your job right now, um, the field of like biology, the, the biologist standpoint? What do I love? You know what I love more than anything, Carter, is figuring out the answers to questions. It is so satisfying to me, especially the challenge assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so satisfying to me to take something and think about it in a different way. Um, and challenge yourself about the way we do things typically and say, do we have to always do it that way? So there's two different ways you can kind of think about that. This camera project that I'm working on now, for example, we assume that game cameras save time because you just take your camera and you put it out in the field and then you leave. Um, But this project, I mean, game cameras took the same amount of time as physical trapping. You know, you're just not spending it in the same way. Yeah. You know, you like it ended up taking massive amounts of time to get the get the cameras, program them, get the batteries, like, oh, recharge the batteries, take care of the SD cards, process the photos. It ended up being a complete wash. So this idea that we've had, like, oh, we'll save a bunch of time and money if we do game cameras, that's not the case necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, no one bothered to actually ask that question before. And so being able to do that is so satisfying. And then the kind of theoretical thinking that we get to do in class and in research projects too, about things like, Um, What is the role of the North American model of wildlife conservation? Like how closely should we follow that? How does that relate to different specific issues in wildlife? Those kind of questions where you think about it and you're still thinking about it three or four hours later, and then you're still thinking about it a couple of days later, that is where I get my satisfaction. And watching students do that is even better. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, better. your 450 classes made me think about things. Think about things I would have never even imagined. Just the depth in which I focus on is like really satisfying, and I really enjoy that you're able to like effectively communicate uh, like your views on things and how we should look at them. Yeah, thanks. That's a really that's a really nice compliment. I really <laughs> appreciate that, Carter. You're welcome. I- Yeah, I remember one time we had just had a discussion about the public trust doctrine and a different, a different, you know, semester, but the same class, Human Dimensions 450. And um, after the discussion, a student came up to me and said, this is what I imagined college would be like. (laughs) I remember thinking like, wow, yeah, this is what college is like. Glad, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you found that satisfaction as well. Yeah, that kind of complicated, I feel a little like my brain hurts and a little like, this might actually make me want to throw up if I think about it anymore because (laughs) it's so complicated. That is just absolute gold to me. Always, I my, my expectations are always exceeded whenever I have class with you or I meet with you and I have conversations. So thank you so much. 
Yeah, thanks, Carter. I've been looking forward to this. It's fun just to get to talk. And mm -hmm. I really, I really appreciate your perspective on things. Um, and that makes it um, makes it even better. Yeah. All right, so. sweet. Well, thank you so much. I hope that you have a rest of a good rest of your Thursday.